are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This evening we continue in our study of the book of Leviticus, so I encourage you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. We're in the second half of this chapter, looking at the various feasts and festivals that Israel was called to observe every year. Leviticus, this whole book is about how do we approach a holy God, even though we're sinful, and then now that we are in the presence of a holy God, what does life look like? How do we commune with God? How do we live our lives in light of such a great Savior? And so we finish up this annual calendar of feasts and festivals. So we look at Leviticus chapter 23. We'll begin in verse 23 and read through the end of the chapter. If you have your pew Bibles, I should have said this a moment ago, it's on page 101 and continues on to page 102. We'll hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with, uh, with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you at a time of holy convocation. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places." It shall be with you to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening. From evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim at times as times of holy convocation. For the presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each in its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feasts of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. 
that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Thus, Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God called Israel to celebrate these feasts because these feasts reminded them as they remind us of the joy of our salvation. God was calling Israel to celebrate and rejoice in the salvation he has given them, reminding them annually with all of these feasts to say, have joy, take heart. I am your God. I love you. You are my people. Look what I've done to redeem you. The joy of salvation. Last time we saw a number of these feasts. We saw the weekly Sabbath that was to be observed all year long. And annually, we saw the the three uh, feasts kind of uh, put together, the Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, all celebrated as a cluster, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, celebrating the first harvest of the year, the early barley harvest, remembering the Passover, how God rescued Israel out of Egypt. And then the second big feast that would lead all of Israel back to Jerusalem was the Feast of Weeks, 50 days later where they would celebrate the second grain harvest, the wheat harvest. And they would celebrate that by going to Jerusalem again for another day of celebration. This time we come to the seventh month of the year. So we leave behind uh, months one through three, which is roughly uh, March, April, and May. And now we've moved to the seventh month, which is roughly September and October of our months. And this was the most sacred month of the year. Remember, we have the, the, the principle of the Sabbath. The seventh day is the holiest day of the week. And now we come to the seventh month of the year is the most holy, the most sacred month of the year. And we'll see in time that the seventh year is a year of jubilee. So these sevens appear over and over. And we see one here is the seventh month of the year is the most sacred month. It has three special celebrations all coming to a culmination in the Feast of Booths. And we see this comes at the end of the summer harvest after all of the fruit, all of the vines have been, uh, have been collected. Everything is now in the storehouses and Israel can celebrate that God has brought them through another year. There's a lull for the Uh, the farming people, before you prepare the ground for sowing. Here was a time, a lull of celebration, of looking to their God who has provided for them. So there's three feasts that we'll look at this evening. The first two we'll look at more briefly, and then we'll spend most of our time on the Feast of Booths. But let's first look at the Feast of Trumpets. This is verses 23 through 25. And this Feast of Trumpets was an extra day of a holy convocation, a day of worship and rest. Even though it wasn't the seventh day of the week, it was the first day of the month. It was set aside where trumpets would blast another day of worship for them to prepare for what was coming this month. And in Jewish tradition, the next 10 days turned into 10 days of penance, where there's a season of examination and confession and repentance before the Lord. The blowing of the trumpet calls to mind for Israel the work of God. The trumpet was always blown when God was called upon to act or to remind Israel that God was acting for when Israel went out to battle. The trumpet would blow to remind all of God's people it's God who is fighting for them. When Israel was to pick up from place to place in the wilderness, 
the trumpet was blasted for all the people to know that God is at work. God is on the move. We are now called to pick up our belongings and go follow him. And so the trumpet blasts on the first day of the month to prepare Israel. God is at work. God is active. And so prepare yourself for what is coming. And the next day is this day of atonement. On the 10th day of the month, we see this in verses 26 through 32. Now, this is not actually a feast day, but instead it is a fast day. Israel was called to afflict themselves. And we saw as we looked at the Day of Atonement back in chapter 16 more fully, Israel was called to fast. Israel was not feasting this day. This was the culmination of those days of penitence, of examination and confession and repentance. This was the day that in Jerusalem, sacrifices would be offered. The day of the ceremony of the goats, you remember? The two goats presented to the high priest and lots were cast. One of them was burned on the altar to propitiate the sins of the people. And the other one was sent into the wilderness after the high priest laid his hands and confessed all the sins of Israel upon that other goat. It was sent into the wilderness to demonstrate to Israel, all of your sins are removed from you. And the wrath of God has been satisfied. Now, for the feast, uh, for the Day of Atonement, Israel was not required to, pil- to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So they were back home in their, in their own villages and their own towns. But knowing what was happening in Jerusalem, the, their sins were being dealt with symbolically. They were called to look to the one who forgives the sins of his people, looking to God and his promises. So this was maybe a high holy day for Israel, but it was not a day of celebration. It was a day of remembering our sin. But the day of celebration was to come because at the day, after the Day of Atonement, preparations began for the greatest feast of the year. Five days later was the Feast of Booths. So let's consider this Feast of Booths, verses 33 through the end of the chapters, this description here of what Israel is called to do. They're called to rejoice all of these days, to celebrate, to come and have the biggest party of the year. This was a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So all of God's people were called to gather up their families and and make that trek back to Jerusalem. They would arrive by Friday, the 13th, to get ready for Saturday, the Sabbath, the 14th, where they could not do any work, but it was a day of worship and rest before the feast began in earnest on the 15th. So they had to arrive by the 13th. So that doesn't leave much time after the 10th day, the Day of Atonement, to prepare and get your things ready and make the trek down to Jerusalem. The feast began on day 15, on that Sunday, and it continued for eight days until the final day, the next Sunday. The most distinctive part of this celebration uh, is what it's named after. It's called the Feast of Booths, or in the older translations, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a reference to the temporary kinds of housing that Israel in the wilderness lived in. And so all the people of Israel, even if you lived in Jerusalem, you had to build a booth to live in for the week. And these were, again, temporary shelters. These are uh, not even as glamorous as our family tents we take camping. This was a makeshift accommodation for each family throughout the week. But the point, as we'll see in a a little bit, the point was to remind Israel of their time of wandering in the wilderness. Remember, this is what you lived in, not just for seven days, eight days, but you lived in this for 40 years as I was providing for you, God said. 
Day one and day eight, in addition to the the day before day one, in addition to day seven, these were days of complete rest, of no work whatsoever being done. These were days of rest and celebration. But the other days that weren't Sabbath and weren't day one and day eight, you could do basic work on these days, but only work insofar as you're preparing to feast, preparing for the party. So you couldn't do your normal worldly work, but you could go buy and sell food and make food preparations to get ready for the daily feasting that happened. There are all kinds of ceremonies that developed throughout the course of Jewish history. There were a number of sacrifices required to be offered on a daily basis here, and we see elsewhere in the Old Testament. These were required for God's people. They were called to give their tithes during this time. Likely they were called called upon to give their taxes to the king during this time. But there are so many festivities, so many parties, so many, imagine family reunions going on throughout the week, a week of feasting. But we come to the eighth day, this Sunday, after the, the seventh day, the Sabbath, this Sunday, the first day of the week is called the great day, as we saw in John that we read earlier. It's called the great day of the feast. This is the highest day, the the day of greatest celebration. And they end on a ringing high note of rejoicing all of God's people together in one place. So what's the significance of this? What's the significance? So what I'm going to do is, is look at the significance for Israel and then we'll make lessons for us as well. And uh, I'm going to look basically at the past, present, and future. Israel was called at that point in time to look to the past of God's work, to look today, the present, what God is doing, and look to the future of God's working during this feast. So let's look at these three aspects of significance. The past. Israel was called to remember the past, and that's why it's called the Feast of Booths, verse 42 and 43. God tells Israel, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So Israel was called all week long to remember what God had done, to remember God delivered them out of Egypt, to remember that God delivered them through the wilderness, to remember, yes, even their own sin and how they were left in the wilderness longer than they should have been because of their own sin. And the rebellion against God. And they also to remember their yearning for the promised land. How when they were in the wilderness, oh, how they so desired to be in the land and have rest. It's a time of remembering, of looking back, all that God had done. And when they finally arrived in the land, then they could celebrate. Then they could grow their own crops. They no longer were nomads living off of the land wherever they found themselves. They had their own land their own place. God had provided for them. So for us, what significance does this have? Israel looking to the past. Well, this is our family history too. We ought to look back to the Old Testament people of God and rejoice as well. This is our people. This is our family. Look how God provided so amazingly for them for 40 years, preserving them, leading them, guiding them. So we remember, just as Israel in the promised land, we look back and remember God's faithfulness to them as well. But our situation is a little bit different from Israel as they ended up in the promised land. They looked back on a time of wandering. 
But I think we probably identify more with the wandering Israel than we do with the Israel in the land. Oftentimes in the New Testament, we are called sojourners, strangers, and aliens. We are in a time of wandering in the wilderness. We are waiting for the promised land ourselves. We don't have a land of rest any longer. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. So as we look back at Israel of old, wandering through the desert, we realize that that's us. We are strangers in this world. This world is not our home. We want not just a, 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 a piece of land in the Middle East. We want the new heavens and the new earth. We're longing for it. We're yearning for it. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, we just sang, has echoes of this reality. We are wandering, and we need God's guidance, as he did for Old Testament Israel. And we're going to sing, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, and as Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, what great relief it was for them. And for you and I, we are on the banks of the Jordan, yearning to cross into the promised land, the place where righteousness dwells. So we can take great comfort from God's people in the Old Testament because we are like them wandering in the wilderness of this world. This world is not our home. Our eyes are on our eternal home in heaven. So Israel in the promised land, they were looking to the past. The significance also arose in the present day for them as they remembered this is a time for feasting. So second significance in the present is a time of rejoicing. This is a time for feasting for Israel. God had provided for another year for them. Physically, the, the final harvest of the year had come in. And they're remembering, we, we no longer reside in booths. We have our own sturdy homes. We have our own plots of land. We have our own pillow on which we lay our head every night. And then spiritually, they're rejoicing because they've had a whole year's worth of feast to remember the salvation God has given them. And they've just come out of that day of atonement where God demonstrates for them how your sin is taken care of and you are now my adopted children. What feasting and rejoicing for the people of God knowing that God has provided for them spiritually. What God promised to Abraham was true at this moment for them. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. They could rest in that. Rejoice in that Yahweh is their God and they are his people. God is reminding them through these tangible feasts year after year, I am with you. You are my people. I am providing for you. But while they rejoiced, there's yet still a tension in the experience of the ancient Israelites. There's a tension in the experience between God's presence and the God's blessing then and there and their living condition. This juxtaposition of extreme celebration and this rudimentary housing. What is the purpose of this? Yes, to look back, but also to remind Israel that they had not yet achieved their final home. Even though they were in the land that God promised, the land was only a foreshadowing of what we're also looking to as ancient Israel did. They were looking to the new heavens and new earth. Or as Hebrews says, they were looking for the land and the city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham yearned for that. Israel yearned for that. So this was a reminder in the presence that yes, God's salvation is already here, but it is also not yet quite here at the same time. 
They enjoy the rest and salvation they have by feasting in the land, but they realize physical rest in the land was not the end goal. It again is pointing Israel to that final, eternal endpoint of their salvation, rest in God's new heaven and new earth. And for us, this translates so well because our faith, what Christ has done for us, leads us to rejoicing. We must be people who rejoice no matter the circumstances, knowing though we are poor in the eyes of the world, we are rich in the eyes of God. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have Christ himself. Because we have Christ, though, we don't need the teaching tools of the land, of the temple, of the sacrifices, of the feast. We don't need those teaching tools any longer because we have seen the man himself with eyes of faith. Jesus Christ has now come, and we don't practice these feasts any longer because they've been fulfilled by Christ coming, by Christ being the one to whom they all point. He has come, and he has accomplished our salvation And so we experience a deep joy, the peace that passes all understanding, as it is said, because of the forgiveness we have in Christ, the welcome that we have in Christ. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, we are, as it were, living in booths near, near the temple of our God. But There's a day where we no longer will be living in booths, where we will be welcome guests, and indeed residents of the royal palace itself. We have earthly bodies wasting away, but we are waiting for our heavenly bodies that will be raised imperishable. And so we can feast today knowing the end is certain, knowing what we have today and knowing what is coming. And so this leads Israel's mind from the present to the future, to the significance in the past, looking to what God has provided in the past, today that God has provided everything we need today, but looking to the future. They lived in that tension that we do, that salvation is here. It's already, but it's also not yet. So the significance was for Israel was looking to the future. There was a messianic nature to the celebrations. Over time, Jewish messianic anticipation was incorporated into this feast, rightfully so, because this feast would find its fulfillment on that day when Jesus Christ stood up in the temple, as we read of earlier. Jesus, on the great day of the feast, stood up and he says, what about water? Why does he speak about water? There's a couple of fascinating ceremonies and traditions that developed And the first one is this. During the Feast of Booze, there was daily an emptying of large barrels of water at the top of the stairs in the temple. So every day, the priest would come to the the top of the temple and, and pour out these large barrels of water, and it would come rushing down the steps leading into the temple. And most commentators and biblical scholars think Isaiah 12, 3 speaks of this. It says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This emptying of the water was seen as a symbol of the forthcoming rain that was going to come and physically water the land. But it was also a symbol of the forthcoming Messiah who would give them everything that they need for salvation. And so Christ stands at the top of those stairs. And what does he says? He says, whoever believes in me, says out of his water, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
He said, why do we pour all this water over the stairs year after year? It's because me. I'm the one that this is speaking of. I'm the living water that you need, and I will give you my spirit, and then out of your heart will flow living water as well. And there's another celebration that Israel began to do. There were nightly parties in the temple, and they actually didn't stop at 10 p.m. or 12 a.m. or 2 a.m. They went all night long. We were just talking this week about how it's so hard for me to do a lock-in. I don't like lock-ins because by the morning I'm exhausted. But for an entire week, Israel would go to the temple and they would party all night long. The best singers would come out. The best musicians would come out. And the highlight of all this were two incredibly large candelabras. Flaming torches would be processed through Jerusalem and brought to the temple. And it said that those two flaming torches lit the entire city ablaze all night long. So everyone in the city, no matter where they were, could not only see the light, but where they were, they could celebrate and join in with the party that was going on in the temple. And so what does Jesus say on that same day? Later on, after he talks about the water, the, 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 the living water, he says, I am the light of the world. It's no mistake that he says that the day after they've been up all night long with these two incredibly large lights lighting the whole city of Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, I'm just not the light of Jerusalem. I'm the light of the world. The Messiah has come to bring light, not just to Israel, but to the entire universe. I'm bringing the light of the gospel to every tribe, people, nation, and tongue that they might come and know the Father. So Israel was looking to the future for this Messiah. With all the celebration, it said, we have wonderful salvation, but we know we don't have the final thing yet. We're waiting for the Messiah, and the Messiah has come. So for us, what a wonderful thing this is to see that that same Messiah that was so eagerly expected by the Old Testament people of God has come stood in the temple, declared the Feast of Booths is really all about me. It's really all about what I'm doing for you. I'm preparing to go to the cross on your behalf. That's why you're celebrating. You're celebrating because I'm going to die and rise again and ascend to the right hand of God the Father and rule and reign on your behalf to save you, to protect you, to love you. seventh month of the year was an incredibly multifaceted, complex system of preparations and celebrations, offerings, remembrances, family reunions, meal making, telling stories, playing music, dancing, praying, singing, mourning, and rejoicing. But all of it, the entire year of Israel's calendar found its pinnacle on this Feast of Booths. Their sins has been dealt with. And now they can feast and rejoice and await their coming Messiah. God has provided in the past. God is providing today. God will provide and ultimately deliver you in the future from that final enemy, death itself. So like Israel, as they celebrated year after year, this was call, a call to them to trust the one who provides. 
provided in the wilderness, who provides this day to give you this year's crop of produce that you are living off of, the God who's going to provide and bring you into his new heavens and new earth in the future. This is the same God who's given himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, that we look to, that we trust in, that we say, I'm a sinner. If we don't say we're a sinner, we are cut off from God's presence as all of God's people of Israel. If they wouldn't wouldn't acknowledge that, if they would not afflict themselves and fast and mourn over their sins, they were cut off from the people of God. So we can come to this God like them. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. All of these feasts are pointing to him. We cannot miss that. It's not just theatrics for a people to entertain themselves. This shows them the God of heaven and earth who's come and rescued his people. So as Israel looks to that God, let us look to that God and rejoice as well. Let's look to him in prayer. Gracious Lord, how incredible a thing it is that you would demonstrate for your people of old your salvation in such a clear way giving them opportunity to rejoice, giving them means to rejoice and pointing them to your promises, that promised Messiah who would one day come. And as we are still waiting, he will wipe away every tear from our eye. Oh, Father, may Jesus Christ return quickly, but may he not come until every one of your children is brought in from every tribe and nation and tongue. May we see many come to Christ enjoying this celebration and this feast as well with our brothers and sisters of old, with us today as well. Father, bless us. Make us more like Christ. May we love you with all of our being and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.